John this morning. We're continuing our um, series on being under God. This week we're talking about one of the passages. Again, all these are linked to the, the Pledge of Allegiance that many of us grew up saying. The first week we talked about being one nation. What does that mean and how we're supposed to be ambassadors to Jesus Christ. And then last week we talked about being under God. And are we under God or are we under culture? Who's the biggest one that influences us? And, and we have to make some predetermination so that we don't defile ourselves. And this week we talk about being indivisible. And if you've ever said the Pledge of Allegiance, you know how it goes. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all, right? Now, those are some powerful words that, as a kid, you probably didn't think much about it. You just rehearsed and recited those words. But think about that word indivisible for just a minute. Think about what does indivisible mean? What could be accomplished if we were truly undivided in our, our personal lives with God, in our families, in our marriages, in our homes, in our churches, in our nations, in our world, if we decided that we weren't going to let little things divide us? but we actually came to be together to be one nation under God, one couple under God, one home under God, one community under God. Imagine what could be done. Imagine the change that could happen if we would truly be people under God, indivisible. Indivisible is a pretty easy word that, that we could define, of course. It means something that is unable to be divided or separated. Now, one of the greatest things I love about the Scripture is this. If there's anybody here this morning you feel like you've been separated or divided from God, spouse, family, church, whatever it may be, remember that today is a new day, and His mercies are new every morning, and that today is a day to start a new process. Instead of being apart, you can come back together. That's the beautiful part of church for me, not just the Scriptures that says that His mercies are new, but church should be a place that you can come back to. Not every time that somebody uh, leaves doesn't mean that they hate us. It could be just a season. And every church should have an open door for people to come home. And maybe this is coming home for the first time, or maybe this is coming home for the twelfth time, I don't know. That's not up to me to decide. But I do know that we should be a place that we embrace an indivisible mind mentality. That when people come in, our arms are open, not standing set apart. What are you doing back? <laughs> or why did you leave? Or, and it really doesn't matter, those questions. Because I, I think about this. At some point in our life, we sinned. Everybody in this place has sinned. And when we come back to God, how does He stand like this and say, what are you doing back? How dare you come before me and remind us of what we did? Or does He say, welcome home. <laughs> I'm so glad that you're back. 
And he's the father from the prodigal son that is watching every day for his children to come back to him and runs to embrace them. That should be our hearts as well, church. And it doesn't mean that you didn't get hurt, and it doesn't mean that you didn't get offended, and that some mess didn't happen, but that's where forgiveness and grace kicks in. (laughs) And that's what allows a united, indivisible church to get strong. Amen? If you've been divided, today's a day that you can be reunited. You see, God's will for us, as we're going to read in this Scripture, is that we would be one with Him. It has always been his hope from the very beginning that he would have not only a separated people, but he'd have people that he would call his own and he would walk with them and talk with them and be with them and they would be his people and he would be their God. And, and God takes this and says that, you know, there are breaks that happen, but I don't want there to be breaks. That's not my plan. And, and our human hearts tend to want to rebel against God, but Jesus' prayer and, and hope from the Father was that he was going to speak into his, his followers because he knew that hard times were coming for them, and he knew hard times were coming for us. He has expressly told us it's going to get pretty bad in these last days, and we're heading into those days. And that's no reason to be divided when he tells us that, hey, these hard times are coming, but be one. So if you join me, we're going to jump into John chapter 17. Going to read three verses here. And Jesus gave pretty simple instructions. Now, he uses kind of a poetic way of saying this, but he gave pretty simple instructions here. He really says through all this be one, don't be divided, love each other like I love you and like God loves me and I love God. And if you can decide not to be divided in yourselves, in your family, as a couple, as a church, as a nation, then incredible things can happen. And so, Here we are in in John 17, verse 20, he says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us this morning. We've believed the disciples' words as they've written it in the Scriptures. We didn't hear Jesus physically speak, but we hear him speak through the disciples, through this passage in John. He's speaking to future generations of those that will believe in me through their word. Now let's go on. That they may all be one. Do you see this? Now think of everybody that's coming from Jews and Gentiles and different nations as the crossroads of, of, of the nations are coming together like never before in this time when he's writing this. And even today in America, there are, we are a melting pot. And yet he says his hope is that we will all be one. One what? Now understand that it doesn't mean we all look the same and act the same but we can still all be one. Look what he says. I want them to all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Notice that he sets the example. I am one with the Father and the Father is one with me, so I'm setting the example. It can be done. Two separate entities can act in unity, can determine not to be divided. That they also may be one In us, notice that the perfect way to have a a form of unity is to first of all be connected to God. If we're not connected to God, we struggle in that relationship, and that means we're going to struggle in our human relationships as well. So the first thing he wants is, I want them to be connected to you, God, that the world may believe that you sent me. 
Now listen, that was Jesus speaking, but did you know that's our mission as well this morning? If we'll love God and love each other, then the world will believe that He sent us. Just by being united, just by loving each other. Verse 22, and the glory which you gave me, I have given them. And that glory is just that internal love, that internal power that comes through us, that they may be one just as we are one. Did you know that even on our coins in America, we've got a Latin phrase on there? You've probably seen it before. It says, e pluribus unum. Do you know what that means? It's Latin for a phrase that says, from many, one. We've come from all over. We've come from distant lands. We've been kicked out of places, and we found a place in America, and we don't all look the same. We don't all talk the same. We don't all act the same. But from many, we can be one. And that was a a desire and a design that began to frame our American culture. And unfortunately, as we turn our back on being one with God, we begin to break up, and we almost have to change that phrase that says, from one, many. Now, that's not what God's hope is, nor is it our hope. Verse 23, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you loved me. He talks two primary words in this passage is one and love. And those two things come together because when we can determine to be one, then we can love each other despite our differences and our diversities. But if there's not a love, starting with God the Father, then it's very difficult to love because we always see the differences in other people. We see it immediately, don't we? You see somebody and you're like, they're not like me. They don't look like me. They don't talk like me. They don't act like me. They don't dress like me. And if we're not careful... That brings separation instead of it being, but we can still be one. If we'll go back and look at this scripture, think of these disciples. Fishermen, tax collectors, right? Religious men, non-religious men, people off the street, all of them very different. In fact, I love the fact that he has a tax collector and a zealot in the same group. And if you'll pardon a little bit of Bible geekery, you should know this, but zealots were Jews that hunted tax collectors. Did you know that? They were so, because tax collectors were robbing their own people. And zealots' job was to find these guys, hunt them down, either bring them to justice or kill them. And isn't it amazing that Jesus picked a tax collector and a zealot, and then he says to them, love one another. Be one. And I'll bet you that it was very tough on Matthew and Simon. I'll bet you they didn't sit side by side every time they got together. And I'll bet you they kept one eye open at night when they slept. But after following Jesus and seeing that he loved them all well, And he turned over his mission to men that had been changed by the love and the gospel 
the truth of Jesus Christ. These are the men that no longer sought to kill each other and swindle each other. They sought to change the world. And it can happen with us as well. We need to stop worrying about the differences and start embracing what's similar because there are so small things that separate us and yet such incredible things that can bind us and make us one. That means we've got to look at things a little bit differently. So let's move forward here and, and let's understand a couple points here. Number one, we've got to unite, church. Let's just start here. I can't control any of the other churches. I haven't been placed as a pastor over in another church. I've just been placed here. But we, as a body, need to unite. We need to let the past be the past. Whatever's happened, it doesn't mean it didn't happen, and it didn't mean you didn't get hurt, but you can choose to forgive and move forward, to be one. We desperately need each other, church. I can't do this without you. This city needs you. We need each other. And if we can't be united, we end up fighting each other instead of furthering the gospel. We also can't significantly impact the world all on our own. Together, we're stronger than we are apart. Us together can do a lot more than we can do individually. And, and it doesn't mean that you're powerless as an individual, but there are strength in numbers, and there is a power of combined prayer and combined focus and combined resources that we can't see on our own. This is why Romans tells us this. Look what he says. For as we have many members in one body, notice there's this unity again, but all members do not have the same function. You don't have the same function as the person sitting next to you nor of me or me of you, and yet it doesn't make us separated. Verse 5, so we being many are one body in Christ. Isn't that amazing that through Jesus, he says, I can bring a bunch of parts together and they can be one. Just like your car. Look at all, think how many different parts are in your car. And yet none of those parts are what you buy the car for. You buy the car for its completeness. <laughs> and yet each one of those parts is pretty valuable down to the lug nut, right? Which is a pretty small and expensive piece, but try to drive without them. Or a starter. Or a spark plug. Remove just one spark plug. How does that engine run? And even then it takes a key well, not anymore. You've got push buttons, right? We've gone backwards. All of you that are new think that those are, those are new. When I was a kid, we had push button trucks too on the farm. There was no key. But look at what he's saying. We are all individuals, and yet we're members of one another. You're connected, you're vital, you're needed. And we've got to make sure that we understand we're part of a body and that your part is important. Your part may not be my part, and my part may not be your part. I'm just the guy that gets to stand up here every Sunday, but that doesn't make my part more important. That's just when I do it. Your part is just as important because without you, part of the body is missing. Now, this last part is also important, and I want to dissect this for just a minute. You see, right now, we're in a phase in the world where everybody's really talking about unity, but what they're really saying is uniformity. And there's a big difference between unity and uniformity. They want everybody to act the same way, believe the same way, and if you don't, then you hate them. It's not true. 
I don't have to agree with somebody, but it also doesn't mean I hate them. I can disagree with somebody's point of view and their belief system and still love them, but the world says, no, you can't. Jesus says, yes, you can. I can be appalled at somebody's lifestyle and the choices that they made and still love them and want to embrace them with the love of Jesus Christ. They're not exclusive, but the world says, no, you're either completely for me in everything that I believe or you're against me. Well, that's not what Jesus says. And Jesus doesn't talk about uniformity. He talks a lot about unity. And unity means we're all going in the same direction. And you may look a different way and walk a different path and have different clothes and a different job and a different background, and yet we're all going to the same God, to the same place, and we don't have to be a cookie cutter of uniformity. And you should be thankful for that. Aren't you thankful you don't look like me this morning? But when we do that, we lose our individuality. Uniformity means that you no longer matter. You're a number, you're a part, you're a piece. And he says, yet, I want you to be individuals that understand that you're uniquely and vitally connected to each other. You're not some nameless part that we can just pull out and stick in. It doesn't matter who you are. It does matter who you are. It does matter who, who you are with. It does matter what you do and how it affects the body. We've got to get together. And again, let's not even just think globally at this moment. That's, that's great for all the politics, but let's just start right here. How about in your home? You know the chaos that comes from not having a united home. Just start there. Start with you, mom and dad. Start with you, couple. Are you united under Christ, loving God first and then loving each other? Start just with there. And then we can work outward, outward to our, our family, outward to our neighborhood, outward to our church. And believe me, if churches would actually get united, not even with each other, just within, we would see a tremendous change in our culture and our city. But we've got to start here. And that's difficult. It, it's, it's not easy. I'm not saying that it is. It's something that we've got to work on. Secondly, let's be for stuff and not against stuff. We know what the Bible says we're supposed to be against. But many, many times, Christians and churches are only known for what they're against and what they hate. And yet Jesus said, I want them to be known by their love. Let's be known for our love. If we're going to make a judgment on somebody, let's believe the best and not the worst. Yes, there's other religions, and yes, there's other belief systems. But every one of them is doing something good. And maybe we don't agree with everything they're doing, but guess what? You're probably not going to find anybody that you believe everything that they believe and everything that they say. And what's wrong with embracing the good and let God work out the rest? We've not been called to judge other people. We've been called to love other people. We already know what's right and wrong, but many times we're only known in the church for pointing out what's wrong. What if we flipped that and we became a body that pointed out the good things in the world around us? Wouldn't that be great? Instead of carrying signs that says God hates, fill in the blank, what about God loves? 
fill in the blank. What difference would that make in a world that instead of being a God that hates, they see that there's a God that loves? Not easy, but very simple. We need to build our faith and our church on what we're for, not what we're against. Because I can guarantee if we did a survey in here, many of us believe differently than everybody else around us, and yet we can still be one. You don't have to believe everything 100% the same way and do everything 100% the same way. To be counted as one, we just have to agree to be one. And there can be differences, and there will be differences because we're different people in different parts of the body. You know what I mean. And again, this is why Jesus uses a body. Have you ever had a day where you didn't have a headache but you had a stomach ache? Well, how does that work? Is it possible to only have one part of the body hurting at a time? Of course it is. And are you in disagreement with your body having a stomach ache and it doesn't feel good? Certainly. But do you cut out your stomach? I know you may want to. (laughs) But we don't do that, do we? Or when you have a headache and the rest of your body is just fine. You don't cut off your head although that would cure the headache. So why do we tend to do this when we have disagreements within the body? That we want to cut things off and throw things away instead of understanding that there can be disagreements and we can still be one. There can be some pain that happens and we can still be one. And here's the beauty. If you'll... If you use your imagination this morning, the reason that the disagreement or that disagreeable situation and the pain is there to remind you you're still alive. Dead things don't feel pain. Dead things don't get stomach aches. Dead things don't get cramps. It's only the life and the connection that your head knows that your stomach is upset, and that means you're alive and connected. And although it's not fun, it's good to know that, hey, you may not be feeling it, and yes, there may be some disagreement, but we're still one. And that we can be one together. It's not about putting a denomination or our faith first. It's not about the Baptists. It's not about the Charismatic, the Catholics, the Methodists, whatever it may be. First and foremost, we are Jesus followers. Before any of that makes a difference. First and foremost, we are Jesus followers. And the rest of it, if it lines up, great. If not, it doesn't really matter. What was Jesus' denomination? What were the first disciples? What agreement did they have to come into? You know what they had to do? Follow me. Okay. There was the first agreement right there. He didn't do a questionnaire and say, well, do you think we should go like this? How far do you think we should walk? How fast should we walk? How should we? He didn't ask that. He said, follow me, didn't he? So right from the beginning, we have the set for us as an example. We are first and foremost Jesus followers. Let's just follow him. He will lead us in the right direction. He will lead us where we're supposed to go. And he will keep us out of the places we're not supposed to go. We can be okay with that, right? I love this quote by D.L. Moody, preacher of old. He says, You may find hundreds of fault finders among professing Christians, but all their criticism will not lead one solitary soul to Christ. 
We can spend all day pointing out the differences and nitpicking and saying they did this and they did that, they did this right, they did this wrong, but none of that brings one person to Jesus Christ. And this is the same reason that Jesus had a problem with the Pharisees. Because of their nitpicking, they were keeping people out of the kingdom instead of bringing people into the kingdom. And can I tell you, it's easy to nitpick because we always see the differences in others and we always see the faults in others before we see it in us. And we could spend all day picking apart them, their, what's, all, the, all those individuals, all the groups, all the thems and the theys, and it won't get one person saved. Let's channel that energy into being Jesus followers that look at the rest of the world as if they should follow Jesus. Almost done. How do we do this? Great question. We love like Jesus loved. And that is hard and terrifying at the same time. Jesus didn't say be right. He said be loving. And somewhere along the way, we decided it was one of our rights to become offended Christians. And he said, no, I've called you to be loving Christians. Love each other. We can't all be right, but we can all be one. If you're married, you know this. Right? One of you is going to be wrong. Right, husbands? And if you left every time you disagreed, <laughs> be pretty short marriages. You can disagree and still be one. Right? And the easiest way to be one is not to fight about it. So what if you're wrong? Have you ever asked yourself that? So what if she's wrong? Wives, so what if he's wrong again? John 13 sets a pretty strict standard for us. Look what he says. They were asking about commit commandments and all this stuff, he says, I've got a commandment for you. Love one another. And I wish he would have just stopped right there, but he didn't. He really dialed up the pressure on us. Look what he said. I want you to love each other like I loved you. Now, before you wonder how Jesus loved you, I'll tell you how he loved you. He said he died for us when we were still sinners before we were cleaned up, before we got smart, before we did the right thing and made the right choices, He loved us. So when we encounter people that don't have it dialed in, that don't know what to do, that are still a mess, what do we do to them? We love them. It's not our job to clean them up. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. Our job is to love them. We can love the sinner. We can love the thief. We can love the homosexual. We can love the idolater. We can love whomever. We can love anybody and everybody, and it doesn't mean we have to agree with them, but we can love them. Notice what he says, verse 35, by this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Not our doctrine, not our stances, not what we're for, not what we're against. This is what will grab the attention of the world when they see us loving each other like Jesus loved us. By that one thing alone, and yet that's the one thing we struggle with the most. 
We want to get dogmatic on the things that are unclear and then on the things that are very clear, like loving each other like Jesus loved us. We, uh, uh, uh. I'm just telling you, that's difficult because there are people around you, even this morning, that are hard to love. I don't know how my wife lives with me. I'm not a perfect person by any means. The person you're married to, the person you're sitting next to, you've probably seen them on bad days. And yet somehow you stayed with it, despite all that. Can we do that as a church? Where this can be a fear-free zone that you're not afraid to be you? Because I've been in churches where it's not a fear-free zone. You're afraid somebody's going to see you doing something, wearing something, saying something, that you're not okay, that you're not as spiritual as everybody thinks that you're supposed to be, and there's a fear factor. Can I tell you, this is a place where you can be okay with not being okay? Because that's what Jesus says. (laughs) There's days I'm not going to be on top. There's days where you're going to feel like you're sitting your time in here just because you're supposed to, and your mind and your heart is someplace else. There's times where you don't feel very spiritual and you don't want to pray and you don't want to praise and you're not even sure why you're here. And that's okay. Now hopefully it doesn't continue on because that's not healthy for you. But let's be honest with each other. We've got to put aside all this external perfection and external holiness standard that only brings fear and doesn't bring peace and unity. It's not about a dress code. It's not about what version of the Bible we read. It's not about where you sit. It's not about if you raise your hands in worship. It has always been and always will be about Jesus Christ. The rest of it falls to the wayside. So let's wrap this up. Why even talk about all this? Not only with our election around, but again, This is just the timing of things. Time is short, church. It's getting quicker and quicker. Time seems to be ramping faster and faster. I don't know if you've noticed that. I mean, it it just seems like we had our, our summer barbecue and now we're taking a break for Thanksgiving. And then just over a month, it will be another year has passed. It's hard to believe. (laughs) Our mission as a church and as Christians is too important to be done alone. Let's do it together. We don't have time for Facebook wars and Twitter fights. Lay it down. I said this before. You don't have to respond. You have the right not to respond and get pulled into a battle that you won't win. Use that power for evil for good. You can put, have a blessed day, enter. No matter what they said, right? No matter what they said, you'll feel better. Now your flesh won't feel better, but your spirit will feel better. Because it's only in our flesh that we'd say, oh, I'm going to tear him a new one. And we go. Bang. 
Now, here's what's funny to me, because again, I've learned not to get drawn into that mess. You do that, hit, send, and then you get confronted by a bunch of people you know in the comment section, and now you're hurt and wounded. I can't believe they said that. You just wrote a five-page scathing vent, and then somebody says, you know, I don't agree with your stance, and we shouldn't be saying such things like that if we're Christians, and then you want to go off again. Because it's instant access, and I'm telling you, you wouldn't do that if you had to stand face to face. There'd be no way you'd treat that person that way. If you had to look them in the face and say what you just typed, you wouldn't do it. That's why we don't have time for that. That's just wasted time, wasted energy. It does nothing but cause internal issues and breakdowns. It needs to be mission-focused. We're on a mission to save this world for Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. We're not here to be Facebook terrorists. We're here to tell the world about Jesus. And let's just be honest. The world is sick of hearing about the love of Jesus. They're ready to see the love of Jesus. Every church talks about the love of Jesus Christ, but it's hard for us as humans to display the love of Jesus Christ. Sometimes that love sounds a lot like hate because we only tell them what we hate. But let's actually show them the love of Jesus. Let's be known for what we're for. Let's be known for our unity. Let's be known for our love for one another. We may not have it all together. We may not be perfect people. But when people come here, they should feel like they are well-loved. The Holy Spirit can do the rest if we'll let Him. And just so you don't have to work overtime, you aren't the Holy Spirit and you're not supposed to do His job. You let the Holy Spirit do His job and you do your job, which is loving God and loving other people well. And then we'll be pretty free. And this may sound, you can say it either sounds cynical or naive, but here's my reality. If we spent half as much time trying to love the world as we did pointing out the faults and picking each other apart, we'd see a lot of people saved. And we'd be so busy seeing people saved and getting discipled, we wouldn't have time to worry about all the other mess that goes on. But since we're not busy seeing people saved, and since we're so busy being fault finders, we seeing very few people saved because they just see us not loving and living well. And nobody knows what you believe. They just see how you live. That's what's hard. So today's a fresh day to start. If you've been a, a Facebook terrorist, if you're somebody who just loves throwing those flesh grenades out there on Twitter or even in the foyer, today's a new day for us to come together. Let's be known for our love, for our unity, and I'll tell you why. Galatians 6, 9, and 10 says this. Don't be weary in doing good. Now, why would we be weary? Because it's hard to do good. <laughs> Don't be weary in well-doing, for in due season you'll reap the harvest. See what he's saying? There's going to be some work. 
But don't get tired of having to love people. Don't get tired of being united. It's hard work. But in due time, there will be a harvest, and that harvest is souls for Jesus Christ.